Well, I've looked forward uh, to this morning ever since last week. Um, couldn't wait to get back together and finish up uh, this lesson. I've prayed uh, for you and uh, hope that you're looking forward to it as well. Uh, those homework questions were um, pretty convicting, and uh, I trust that you looked at them. Um, I know life is busy, but uh, I ask you to take and um, write at least one sentence if nothing more, on each question to sort of make us go through and think of it, and hopefully we'll have time to uh, look at those a little bit. I want to take you to um, three primary texts this morning, just briefly to anchor us before uh, we get started, and they're all going to be very familiar with you, and the second one, uh, we've already been there last week, but I want you to open your Bibles uh, first, or your smartphones, uh, whatever it is you have, to Romans chapter 8, very familiar passages, we're going to look at verse 28 and 29 specifically as Paul is rolling out these, uh, these tremendous truths in the, in the book of Romans. If you were going to give somebody any one book and you could only give them one book and they were a brand new believer or even an unbeliever who was at least open to the word I'm certain I would choose the book of Romans I mean it is like the whole Bible packed into one amazing book uh, for us and uh, you could never uh, exhaust its truths and uh, we're diving right in here but what I want you to see which will be amplified on a video that I'm going to show you, is the ultimate purpose of life and the ultimate purpose, therefore, of marriage. And so look at Romans 28 and 29. For we know that how many things? All things. So I think in terms of the marriages that um, God puts together, that, that he forms with a one flesh union. All things, including marriage. So marriage is part of that all things. Certainly everything else in life is included there, but marriage clearly would be part of this. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purposes. Now let's find out what his purposes are. For whom he foreknew, he predestined... What does it say? To be conformed to the image of Christ. To be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God is doing a perfecting work, conforming work. He's sandpapering us. He's chiseling us. He's doing all those things. He that began a good work in us, Philippians 1.6, will complete it in the, until the day of Jesus Christ. You're born again. You've been regenerated by the Spirit of the living God. He dwells in you, and He's making you a new creation, continually making you new. And He uses every single thing in life as part of that ultimate purpose that we be Christ-like. And, and one day He'll finish that, which is exactly what He's saying in, in verse 30. 
One day that work will be finished, but it's ongoing. Our sanctification as clay has been unfolding for us so beautifully on Sunday night is an ongoing process. So there's the ultimate purpose in marriage. It's not about us. It's not our pleasure. It's not our happiness. Uh, it isn't any of those things. It's that we might be made like Jesus Christ. Well, there's the ultimate purpose in marriage. Let's look at our responsibilities as husbands in marriage again. We looked at it last week. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And these verses, I'm not going to uh, read them all as we let it, read them last week, but verses 22, even 21, all the way through um, 33 communicate primarily one thing that should echo in our minds over and over and over again, and that is, as husbands, we are to love. Look what it says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And, and that love is to be a sacrificial love. And then you go down to verse... 28, and it says, So husbands ought to love their wives. And between 25 and 28, you, you see that it's a, it's a sacrificial love, but it's a love that also purifies because we wash with the water of the Word. So there's a sacrificial love, there's a purifying love, and we see here in verse 28 there's a caring love. And then look at verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife. It's a very specific, particular, unique love. And, it, and, it's, and it's focused and it's geared towards our, our wives. And so this is the responsibility and the, and the role of every man who enters into a, a marriage covenant. It's the responsibility and the role of every man that is looking for that time when God will give him a mate. And um, if I never marry, it's my responsibility as uh, making disciples to be able to teach these truths to other, to other men. And so we covered that pretty thoroughly last week. And this week we're going to look then at uh, a final text. Hop over to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we looked at the ultimate purpose of life and marriage in, in Romans 8. And we looked at the, the most complete um, teaching in the New Testament on how to love your wife, the responsibilities and the role of a man there in Ephesians. And, and here in, in First Peter, I put this, the, the practical call of a husband. So practically, how do we love this way, understanding ultimately this is for our sanctification and for her sanctification, for the glory of Christ and for our good. So therefore, I am to love my wife sacrificially. I'm to love my wife in a purifying love. I'm to love my wife in a caring love. Well, how practically do I do that? Well, he gives us more meat here, if you uh, will, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. All of 1 Peter, <laughs> strangely, is about... Um, strangers and aliens who have been who have been had to flee because of oppression and affliction and persecution and and really 
the, the book over and over again. One of the key words in the book is submit, 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 submit. All, all the way through the book, it's being clothed with humility. It's trusting the sovereignty of God and, and placing myself under the lordship of Christ no matter what happens because he's sanctifying me and he's making me a glorious person without spot or wrinkle in the same way I'm to be used to do that with my wife. And so the, the whole context you could view as one of submission. And so here we say in verse 7, he's already told wives all about submission. And he comes now to verse 7 and he says, Husbands, likewise dwell with them, that being your wives, dwell with them in an understanding way. And already we begin to quake in our boots, don't we? (laughs) Dwell with them in an understanding way. Well, if we're going to dwell with them in an understanding way, we have to understand them, don't we? And if God tells us to do it, then he will give us the grace to do it. I know that sounds like impossible, right? But but we can understand our wives because, because he's given us his spirit. Apart from his grace, we can't, but we can. And he gives us many, many directions in the scriptures, including in this verse. We don't just, underst- we don't just dwell with her in an understanding way, but also giving honor. So it's understanding... And and it's in a giving honor way. It's in an honoring uh, way. But it's not just dwelling with her. Dwelling as the idea of of continually dwelling. So it's a continual dwelling with her in a very understanding way that always gives her honor, understanding that she's a weaker vessel. Weaker. Not that she's lesser, but that she's weaker. She's weaker emotionally. She's weaker physically. We all know that she has hormones, depending on her age, going through her body. And many times, dwelling her with her in an understanding way means that you're dwelling with two different women. <laughs> one day, uh, she is one woman. And all of a sudden, you wake up the next day, and who is this woman? It's a different woman. Well, she can't help it. She's got different hormones going through her body. You... You, you, you're straight line. She's not straight line. She's up and down and all over. And it's your job to understand that, always giving her honor because she is a weaker vessel. We'll unfold that more. Having that same grace that you do, the special grace, heirs of life. She's been born again from above. She's a child of the king. And you don't want your prayers hindered as you walk through life together and partner together. It's just a, a, a beautiful picture. So we're going to unfold these truths. I've put two videos back to back. They were so powerful, I couldn't decide which one. And so it's it's about double the length that you usually get. You're going to get both of them. The first one is by Paul Washer. And it really looks at, again, the uniqueness of the purpose of marriage. And then John Piper is going to unfold for us um, this verse that we're looking at here in 1 Peter 3, 7. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll start that video. Father, I pray you would clear away all the distractions, maybe the tiredness of a short night's sleep, maybe the thoughts that try to creep in about the day ahead. And Father, you would take your word and the time that we're together here and uh, you would grow us in being um, men that understand and love your ultimate purposes, that we would be men that would 
in a greater way understand um, the responsibilities that you have given to us and then the unique way um, we're to live that out with our wives. And so help us, I pray, in this hour to gain the most for the glory of Christ, the good of our wives and our families and and all of those that will disciple in the years ahead. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When you enter a relationship with someone, most of the time, who is not only not compatible with you, but is weak, tremendously weak, in the very areas where you would most want them to be strong. Now, why does he do that? I'll tell you why. Remember our text, Romans 8, 28 and 29. What is the goal? Everything God does in his providence for his children. To conform them to the image of Christ. Now, when you think of the image of Christ, what are some characteristics that just automatically spring to the forefront? Well, for me, three. Unconditional love. Mercy. Grace. If, if, if I could pick out three things in which they told me, you can imitate Christ in these. That, that's what I think about. Unconditional love. Mercy and grace. Now, that's some things that I want to just go ahead and read that I've written out so I get them right. Let me ask you a few questions. How would you ever learn unconditional love if you were married to someone who met all the conditions? Question. How would you ever learn mercy? Patience, long-suffering, heartfelt compassion. If you were married to someone who never failed you, who was never difficult with you, who never sinned against you, who was never slow to acknowledge their sin or ask for forgiveness. How would you ever learn grace to pour out your favor on someone who did not deserve it if you were married to someone who was always deserving of all good things? Do you see that? Listen to me. The main purpose of marriage is that through your marriage, you become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Marriage, I believe, is the greatest instrument of sanctification. You are married to a person who does not meet all the conditions so that you might learn unconditional love. You are married to a person who needs mercy so that you learn to give it. You are married to a person who does not deserve so that you learn to pour lavishly yourself out on a person who does not respond appropriately and thus you become like the God you worship. See, worship God for these things, but you don't want to give them to others. You worship God for grace. But you demand that your wife live in such a way that she not be in need of it. 
You worship God for unconditional love, but you get mad at your own wife when she doesn't meet the conditions. You see? If you contemplate the woman as the weaker container of the glory of God, your main response, husband, is honor. Honor. And I believe, and it's, it's, it's very controversial and very difficult to put into words, that there is unique honor that goes back and forth between a husband and a wife. Unique to the kind of dignities and the kind of strengths and weaknesses that we all have. And this kind of honor, I would suggest, shows itself in things like this. You will not be harsh with her. You, you may rough it up with the guys, you know, you know, you know, bumping each other, talking dirty, and but you don't do that. You don't do that. There, there is, there is an honor that corresponds with the woman, and it's not harsh. Rather, hit the positive side. It's tender. It's gentle. It's protective. I think it is written on a man's God-given soul when he hasn't suppressed it by sin and the media to feel like he ought to protect his wife no matter what. And that he ought to be gentle and kind with her and that he ought to... Um, provide for her. And there may be all kinds of reasons why some of those can't happen. If he's disabled, for example. But I'm just saying, written on man's soul is a kind of honoring here that takes its key from the woman as the weaker vessel by God's design so that his honor is especially I'm there for you. Always, no question. And I will never put you forward if there's a loud noise downstairs. I will never say, hey, we're 50 50 in this marriage. Your turn, go find out who's done that. <laughs> I love to mock that. I do. I love to mock that. Because there's so many people talking about that kind of marriage, and they have been for 40 years. I tend to use bad language when I think about it. Um, that's evil. This 50-50 stuff. We just split it right down the middle and you vacuum half, I vacuum half, you wash half, I wash half, you do this and this. Um, or, let's get real, competency-based. That's, that's what most say. Let her do what she's best at doing. So she's got the black belt in karate, send her down. There's noise, some noise downstairs, jigging around, there's a burglar down there, send her down. Damn that thought to hell. Because the issue is not competency. The issue is, do I have a masculine soul that responds with honor towards this woman in a way that makes her my treasure? 
my fellow heir of the grace of life, whom I will stand up for, I will protect. And if that burglar takes me out, she might take him out. But I'm going down first. Well, can I hear an amen? Amen. I love John's um, passion, even if he gets carried away occasionally. Um, man's man. We're in the on the second page of Reversing the Curse of Marriage in series number seven, Shepherding Families. I'm not sure if my pages are the same as yours, but my page says number 86. And um, we're starting this second session, number two, living with your wife in an understanding way. And so we've looked at the text and we've seen uh, the video and you'll see that all the way through here the curriculum asks us to think. And so think. Think as we go through this. And, and think with this background. We've, we've now set what it is we're to think about. We know the ultimate purpose of marriage and, and we know the responsibility, the the uh, calling that has been placed on us as to how we are to love our wives as as love as Christ loved the church. And so think. Think out of that basis and, and look what he says just to get an overview of what we're going to cover today. Think carefully about your influence of her. Think carefully about God's design for her. Think carefully about who she is as a unique woman. Think carefully about how well you listen. Wow, I could play the invitation song right there, couldn't I? Um, think carefully um, about how you honor her. And so there's a, a thinking this morning, a pondering these truths that flow out of the basis of understanding what God is doing ultimately in our marriage and in our lives, in our wives' lives, and that, that those commands that we've been given in Ephesians to, uh, to love. And so uh, we're, we're looking at that, and we, we think carefully um, about our influence. How are we influencing our, our wives? How are we shepherding them? How are we loving them? Are we, in fact, modeling for her Christ's likeness in, in, in all of those uh, areas? that we talked about last week. We need to think carefully about God's design for her. And she's, these statements seem so simple, but if we're not careful, they fly right over our head in the day-to-day practicality. She is not a man. What do we call this curriculum and this group? We call it grace and what? Granite. What do you think of when you think of granite? It's hard. It's strong. But why do you think they put the word grace there when they designed it? It's because we're so hard and strong, that's, that's all we would be apart from what? Grace. Uh, there has to be grace and granite to fulfill that which we've called to be. There has to be both. Another author um, uses the terminology for men as velvet and steel. Yes, we're steel on the inside, but when we're dealing with our wives and our family, there needs to be a we need to be in, encased in some softness and some in some velvet. Because while we have to be strong as men, we also have to be careful and gentle 
with the little lambs that we shepherd. And, and that's what we've called to be. But a, a woman isn't that way. A, a woman is not a man. What is a, what is a woman? A woman isn't strong as most men physically and most men emotionally. It's not a less value. It's, it's not the idea that there's a value there, but there's a softness there. I think it would be great to use this word. There's a fragility there. Where we're granite by God's design. Where we're steel by God's design. What is she? She's of great value. So she's fine, expensive crystal. She's fine, expensive china. Perhaps even far greater value than the granite and the steel. But as... Fine crystal and fine china, she's also very what? Easily broken. Very easily broken. Very fragile. I have to have a special honor. I don't know if they do it so much today, but when I grew up, my grandmother and my mother and then my, my wife to follow always had a china cabinet. Are you familiar with a china cabinet? And the fine crystal and the fine... China was honored above all the other stuff in the house because it was put in that cabinet because it needed special care. A wife needs special care. That's part of the picture that's being unfolded here in 1 Peter 3, 7. It's not because she's of less value. In fact, she's of great value, but she's easily broken. She's delicate. And, and so you have to understand that. She's not a man... She's a woman. And she's soft. In all the right places, amen? But she's soft. And, and as, a, as a result of that, God has made her a, a nurturer. She's, she's relational. She's, she likes to cuddle. She's caring. She, she, she nurtures. She, she, pulls, she pulls in. And... and, and and yes, she loves romance. Notice I said romance, not sex. There's a huge difference between between those two. And because she's a nurturer, she loves all of those. Uh, she loves all of those things, which yes, usually in, include Hallmark Christmas movies. But, but all of those things that sort of flow out of someone who is a nurturer, who is soft, who is caring, who is who is gentle. And, uh, and we, must, uh, we must understand that. Um, she likes romance. She needs romance. You need to not stop dating her, courting her. The last charge I gave to the couple that stood before me on Saturday is never stop pursuing each other. Never stop pursuing making your wife and your, your husband, even in this new marriage, your very best friend, never stop that pursuit. Just like we never stop the pursuit of growing in our relationship with Christ, you never stop that pursuit of growing in your relationship with your, with, with your spouse. The great American statesman and lawyer William Jennings Bryan was having his portrait painted. I don't think they do much of that anymore with cameras and digital photography, but that used to be a big deal, having your portrait painted. And he was asked by the artist, why do you wear your hair over your ears? Brian responded, there's a romance connected with that. When I began courting Mrs. Brian, 
she objected to the way my ears stood out. So, to please her, I let my hair grow over and cover them. Well, the artist said, that was many years ago. Why don't you have your hair cut now? And Mr. Bryant winked at him and said, because the romance is still going on. Women are a nurturer, and, and, and they need that, that nurturing love that they automatically give because of the way God designed them. They, they need it in, in, in return and in, and in care. A woman is vulnerable. Uh, she is easily wounded. Your wife snaps at you, most likely. Um, it can be, not always, but more times than not, it can be water off a duck's back, as they would say. But is that the way it is when you snap at her? It's a totally different thing. Because she's China, and she's crystal. And, and, and a woman is vulnerable. And so uh, we have to be careful with our words. We'll look at communication more later on in this, in this series. But, but words are so important. Body um, language, the look on our, our faces. Uh, there's no place in a relationship as you're dwelling with your wife for harshness or hardness in your, in your communication. She's not your slave. She's fine china. She's in the china cabinet. And, and, and she's to be honored. And, and she's, she's fragile. And, and may I say that there's never a place for a threat. Never a place for a, a man to threat. Because it's written on his soul that he's a protector. He's not someone who threatens her. He, he protects her. And, and so all of that is incumbent upon someone that's going to dwell with his his wife in an understanding way, understanding who she is, who God has, has created her to be. She's vulnerable. She's a target. She's not lesser. But the scripture is clear, and you can go right back to the garden. Who did Satan attack in the garden? Did he attack Adam? Well, yes, he attacked Adam, but how did he attack Adam? Through Eve. Through Eve. And all the way through the scripture where that's addressed, we see that, that that a woman is, by the very design of God, dependent on the one from whom she was created, and she's easily she's easily deceived. She's emotional, more than than most men, and and flowing out of that. And 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 wow, if this is taped and put on the front page of the paper tomorrow am I ever going to be slaughtered but she is she is weaker she is more easily deceived and it's your job to protect her and because of that she is a target she is a target Eve was a target then do you think your wife is not a target now do you do you think that your wife is not a target to get to you and for the destruction of your family that's exactly why you've been called to shepherd your family that's why you've been called to protect your family that's why you've been called to be alert to the wiles of the devil. Because she is a nurturer, she is a lover, and she is a woman. And, and God has uniquely gifted you to be alert for the caring and the protecting love that comes out of your understanding of the Word. You're washing her with the water of the Word, not your opinions. You're washing her with the water of the Word, not 
your desires, not your preferences, but you're understanding the Word and you're bringing the Word to bear in your family and on her life, even as you bring it to bear in your own life. We're to think about these things very, very carefully. Think, see carefully about who she is uniquely as a woman. And he, he gives you four examples, questions, if you will. Where is she spiritually? Well, what does he mean by that? If you're the kind of husband that has been commanded in Ephesians 5, then you should be able to sit down with me or with another elder or someone who is discipling you or you're discipling with them, and you ought to be able to talk discreetly and answer this question. What's your wife's devotional life like? Do you know? Where is she studying in the Word? How has she grown? What is the Lord doing in her heart and her life? What's your What's your wife's prayer life like? When's the last time that she was she was thrilled because she had an answer to prayer? What are the burdens that she has that she's praying for that it doesn't seem like it seems like the heavens are brass and she needs encouragement? Where is your wife spiritually? That's your responsibility to know. You're the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Does Christ know those things about us? And is he working in us? Yes, and that's an example. of We're to do the same thing. Where is your wife's weaknesses, spiritually in, in particular? How are you praying for her weaknesses? You can't pray for them if you don't even know what they are. And then do you know... Has she progressed in her sanctification that she's acknowledging her own spiritual weaknesses and she's praying for them as well? Is that happening in her life? Are you modeling that by sharing the same thing with her? Making sure that she knows where you are in your personal walk with the Lord? Where you are in your prayer life and how you're praying about your own weaknesses how you're addressing the sin and the unbelief in your own life and as as you pray with her and as you're praying together you're praying about these things and there's you're growing together because you're heirs of life, the grace of God you're doing life together and you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of truth of Christ together, do you know these things it's of major importance and, and if I were to sit down with you and ask you these questions, and as our old pastor used to say, you would look at me like a calf looks at a new gate. There's something very wrong in your relationship. And you need discipleship and help to make that right. What fears plague her? And how are you strengthening her in the Word in those areas? I think that I would not get any argument from this in this room, but if you if you have any, then please let me know. But I, I think that men are uniquely given to pride and lust. And I think women are uniquely given to pride and fear. Pride is the number one sin. It's what we all deal with. It's what took Satan down. It was really the... The, the battle in Eve's heart but then from pride flows 
these two areas, lust and and fear, and clearly, Brother Mark, you counseled thousands of people, and I surely have a few. Would you agree that women really have a battle with fear? And do men have a real battle with lust? So, I mean, that's just that's the reality of it. it. Doesn't mean we can't have victory. God has given us His word to have victory, but those are just in, inherent weaknesses that we need to be aware of. So, what are your wife's fears, and how, how are you strengthening her? And I might say the opposite: Are transparent? Are you being with your weaknesses? in the area of, of purity and and giving her that assurance that that is important to you and that you're submitting and you're growing in that area which then gives her that that demonstration that she needs that she might grow in her areas of, of fears. What about her background that affects her? Life happens. Life impacts us. We all go through experiences and, and your wife does. You recognize all of that God is using for her sanctification but if she has responded wrongly to it in the past and if she's not understood it from a biblical worldview, that those, those things might be amplifying her anxieties and amplifying her wrong experiences. Have you thought about her past? Have you thought deeply about it? Have, have you thought about um the times that she was hurt or she had some very difficult experiences. Maybe she grew up in a quote-unquote non-functional family. Maybe she grew up in an abusive situation. Those things impact her. And and so do you understand that? And do you know how to bring the word to bear to help her walk through those things? Because it's to be a purifying love, a cleansing love, a growing love. Part of our responsibility. D. Think carefully about how well you listen. About how well you listen. I wish I had this up on the screen for you, but let me give you a quote. Poor listening diminishes your wife. Poor listening diminishes your wife while intentive listening invites her to exist as a person and partner that matters. Poor listening diminishes your wife while intentive listening invites her to exist as a person and partner that matters. You listen to your wife. Think carefully about how well you listen. You take genuine interest. When does your wife get your undivided attention? And is that something that she can anticipate and look forward to? Do you know she does? Do you know she desperately wants it? She wants to know that she is of great value to you and that some 
how, some way, you're, you're out fighting tigers and lions and bears on mine. I understand that. And if she's got any maturity, she recognizes that as well. But in, but in all of that, where is she in the priority list? And is there a place and a time that she can anticipate, that she can look forward to? Uh, some people call it a date night. I don't like that phrase, but there's nothing wrong with a date night. If you're dating your wife, that's great. But I'm not talking about a date night. I'm talking about on a very regular basis. When does your wife know that she can pour her heart out to you and you will listen intently? That you want to listen. That you care. That you're not trying to, as it would say on the next page, you're not trying to fix her. You're demonstrating your love by just listening to her. Showing Showing that care. She wants to anticipate that time. When is that? Different seasons of life, that's going to have to be at different times. But she ought to be able to anticipate that. She ought to be able to know when that's going to be. So that you can provide it for her. Take responsibilities for your response. When you give her that time, she's liable to share some things with you that maybe you didn't want to hear. <laughs> maybe she's going to share it in, in a way that wouldn't have even been best shared. I don't know if I said this last week or not, but when I talk to women um, about this area, I, I tell them over and over again, trust me, from being a man all these years, when a man walks in the door, he needs a little transition time to be his very best for you. And you will make out really a lot better if you'll grant it to him. And um, I'm going to give you a medical um, exhortation. Like it or not, he's been, pumping up, he's been pumping up on caffeine all day to keep himself going or else on an energy drink. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, he's just thinking... Get me through the door. And when he comes through that door, his blood sugar is low, okay? And if you got any wisdom at all as a woman, you'll feed the brute. Just feed the brute. Give him a little bit of a breather. Feed the brute. And then you'll, you'll be amazing at that point how he, he'll, he'll be ready to all these things I'm talking to you about to fulfill in a, in a, better, in a better way. But you know what? Even if she doesn't feed the brute, it's our responsibility to respond right in every conversation, right? It's on us. It's incumbent on us. We, we don't put her in her place. Why? Because we honor her. We honor her. <coughs> like you honor your parents. Like you honor an officer or a position. But even in a unique, more specific way, we are to honor her in, in all of our, our conversation. One of the ways we honor her is that when we listen, we, we strive to understand her point of view understand why she thinks the way she does there's no way in the world that you're going to agree with everything she says and it's it's very possible that what she says is completely wrong hello that's life but you can listen to her you can receive it you can give it time you can give it reflection you can ask her questions not as an attorney trying to trap her, but trying to understand. And there may need to be another conversation the next time where maybe you try to write some of the things that are wrong. And do you know most of us that have the spirit of the living God in us and who have a good devotional life and a good prayer life and are connected to the church, the spirit of the living God, takes 
and convicts and convinces us when we say things that are wrong and sometimes she just needs the place and the time to let her hair down and to say some things perhaps in a way that's not right perhaps say some things that are not right and you need to give her the time and the space to let the spirit of the living God convict her of sin judgment, righteousness she's done that for me Amen. And, and and what what a beautiful thing it is when he convicts her and then the next time you get together she comes back and she says, you know what I said the other night that was wrong. Or the way I said it was wrong. Well, that doesn't mean you leave things that are said wrong undone. She says something that's wrong and it's clearly unbiblical. At some point in time you have a responsibility because you love her to wash her and cleanse her by the water of the word. You have to go back. But timing is everything. Ephesians 4 29 through 33. It talks about giving grace to the hearer, about edifying, about building up. And, and the whole context there is at the right time, at specific times. There's a time and a place to correct your wife. It's certainly not in front of other people. It's certainly not in front of the children. And it may need to be two days after you had the conversation. But if it's wrong, it needs to be corrected. But do it in an honoring way. Do it giving her the benefit of the doubt. May I say this? Do it in the way you would want her to do it to you because sometimes she's going to need to correct you. Amen? And you want her to feel free to do that. Because the correction is because you love her. Because you're heirs together. The grace of God. So take responsibility for your communication and let that always be in a respectful and honoring way. Think carefully about how you honor her. All wives share in a common grace, but our, our wives, believing wives, specifically share in that special grace. We're, we're husband and wife, but we're also brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we're going to spend eternity together. We are together, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. How incredible is that? And so as I'm walking through life together I, I, I honor her this way and, and the, the way I honor her I, I heard someone use this uh, illustration is that when you when you think about your wife your uh, children perhaps when they were little have these little toys like a little um, like a little toy instrument a little toy xylophone or a little toy drum or a little toy trumpet now, this particular illustration is a little toy violin and you know how a, a young child plays with a little toy violin they they have fun they make whatever and sometimes you can crank it and it will make nice music but when they do it themselves and, and, and they play you got it you know what I mean and, and what do they do when, when they're through playing with a the toy they throw it down don't they they just throw it any place throw it anywhere and, and maybe you even help them pick it up and throw it in the toy box but what if that violin we're not a toy violin. What if that violin were a half a million dollar Stradivarius violin? Well, how you would handle that violin would be totally different. And that's exactly what our view should be on how we handle our wives, how we have our, our communication with our wives. We're to, we're to handle her with honor because God has given to her, given her to us. She is heirs of the grace of God. She is the child of the king. <coughs> And she is of great value, but of great value, she's also 
gentle and tender and soft and vulnerable, that fine china, that, that crystal glass, and the value of that fine Stradivarius. So we do everything we can in softness and in gentleness to take proper care of her, which sometimes means having to wash her with the water of the word, having to speak to her about her sin, about something, maybe some way that she's parented wrong with the children. It doesn't mean we don't address those things, but we address those things in a very fine and careful and delicate and yet firm way. On your last page there, it says, if you are a fixer, attack the problem. Overcome the habit of fixing. Be silent and still listen. Uh, so often your wife brings you a problem and you don't even want to listen. You after the first sentence, you just want her to be quiet, listen to me, do these three things, boom, 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 and it'll take care of the problem. Let's face it, let's be honest. Let's, we're given to that. I, I can tell you I am. This is uh, this. I'm, tell, I'm not telling you all my sins, but I'm going to tell you one of them. All my entire life, not just with my wife, but honestly with my staff or whoever quote-unquote works for me. And right there you see part of the problem. My wife doesn't work for me, but sometimes that will be my view. You know, she works for me. Just shut up and do what I say. I mean, just listen to me. I, I, I got this figured out. Just do this. Boom, boom, boom. It'll be fixed. Just do this. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, anybody else have that proclivity? You just, just, just do what I say. Uh, listen, I, I know what's going on. Just, just listen to me. And what she wants is, no, would you listen to me? Would you listen to me for a change? Actually, maybe I want to fix it myself, but I'd like to describe to you my difficulty, and I'd like to describe to you my problem, and I'd like to describe to you how I think I would like to fix it, and I would like your encouragement and your blessing. But we never give her that opportunity. Your pastor, have, uh, if anybody's ever seen the little video of the woman with the nail in her forehead, has anybody ever seen that in here? Yes. That's yes. exactly what you're talking about right there. Yeah. Look it up, the nail in the forehead. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. There you go, nail in the forehead. There's one of your homework assignments. Yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, remember these things. Ponder these things. Don't, don't answer so quickly. Uh, listen to her. Uh, listen, I, I could show you a funny Brody video. Um, but uh, honestly, he talked about competency. And, and he was talking about competency, Piper, relative to care and protection. But he didn't mean that there aren't things that our wives are more competent in th- than we are and, and that that we can't decide together as heirs of the grace of God to to choose to do different things. And you, you see these hands? They're absolutely useless. And if my wife were standing here next to me, she would say, Amen. If anything breaks in our home, she would defer easily and allow me to break it worse and then hurt myself doing it because that's exactly what I would do. I can do nothing with these. But my wife's hands, she didn't do anything. She's an amazing woman. And and um, so, some time ago, I took dwelling with her in an understanding way. 
Um, I bought her. You can go online. You can go on Amazon. I spent quite a bit of money. I bought her her own pink toolkit. Okay, it's uh, you know all the tools are in pink and they got nice soft handles and they all go and they have a nice organized place and it's got a nice carrying thing. And yet, you know, in the context of our home, just the other day I could show you a text. She sent me a text and she had. Um, the vacuum cleaner and she had the vacuum cleaner set up upside down and she had her toolkit there and she sent me a text and she said I'm thinking about taking the vacuum cleaner apart replacing the filter putting in a new light bulb and replacing the belt would that be alright with you if I did that and of course I said oh no wait till I come home so I can do it for you <laughs> no no but there's a relationship there where she still is under under the umbrella, if you will. She still sees me as the head and understands that those things might naturally fall to me, but she also knows that she's more gifted than that of me, and yet she deferred to me. She deferred to me. If I wanted to fix it, it would be fine with her, but she really wanted it fixed. And so, of course, I said, you know, when I came home, she had pictures of me of, of how she had fixed it and the things that were broken, why it wasn't working good before. And, and she was just so proud of it. And I was just so proud of her. And I was just so happy that she did and I didn't. But, but that's how, and listen, that's a snapshot of something that worked really well. I could give you a bunch of other snapshots, okay, that, that, that aren't that way. So don't, don't, make, don't put me on some kind of a pedestal I, that I don't belong. But look at these questions, uh, if you will. What drives you most and therefore causes the great amount of conflict between you and your, your wife? I'm going to tell you through all of my years of counseling that um, there are three things. Unrealistic expectations. Unfulfilled communication. And unkept promises. So, um, I laughed when I read this. I'm sure you've all read it before, like the nail in the head, uh, brother. But let me read this to you. Ladies, if a man says he'll fix it, he will. There is no need to remind him every six months. <laughs> <coughs> Maybe that's why my wife finally fixed the vacuum cleaner herself. <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, we have to be careful with our words. And it's one of those things that will, will cause a difficulty. So what, what expectations cause the greatest conflict when they're unmet that, that you've experienced? Tim? I, I think the communication part... I have uh, the words right in my head, at least I think I do, that they come out differently than they are in my head. And something twists things around between the brain and the mouth. And so she takes me at my word. So sometimes I say something and she understood it. Kind of like the computer. The computer does what I tell it to do and not what I really meant for it to do. So I have to pay attention to the words I use and the, and the things that I say. Okay. Anybody else experience that or anything similar? There's communication going on, but the communication uh, isn't understood. What What is a good way to um, help minimize that? 
surely well, you've, you've experienced that. Was, is there a way to help minimize that? Mark? Well, you have them repeat back what they think they heard. Mm. Over and over and over again. But see, none of that happens if there isn't a time for communication. None of that happens if she can't anticipate that. That doesn't happen in 30 seconds. There needs to be a time where you've built that relationship, and so you're talking about something you would like her to do, or maybe you're even describing Maybe she's come to you and she said, there's this problem in the home or problem with the kids or problem with a neighbor or whatever. And so like Tim, you tell her what the answer is. But just because you told her, what well, the answer is doesn't mean she heard what you meant. And, and the only way to be sure is, is well, now, um, to make sure we're on the same page. You know, it's not her fault if she didn't. You're the communicator. You're responsible for that. So you, so you say to her, now, uh, tell me again, how, how, what do you think I said on how it would be best to handle this? And then listen with, in, with intention. And, and I will tell you, Tim... When, when I do that, I would say 75% of the time what she tells me back is not what I intended to say to her. And so then I, I refine it a little bit. Well, no, actually, actually, this is, this is what I meant. Let me say it a different way. And, and you do that two or three times until you're, you're together. Does that make sense? But that takes time. That means you have to listen, and that means you have to love. You have to care. You have to give her. You have to give her that time. Do you give her time and attention, number four there, only when it's convenient to you? Let's talk about this area about time and, and attention for communication, for relationship. How, how do you do that? How do you manage that in your current situation? And what are your struggles in that area? Yes, sir, Paul? For me, it's kind of the opposite. I want all her time, so I neglect doing chores around the house. I should be doing. I just would rather just sit on the couch and be with her. Okay. So you know, the yard doesn't get done. You know, two weeks after the time it should be done, that type of thing. Because I view her as my priority, so all the other tasks I'm responsible for kind of goes on the wayside. So kind of balance it because a lot of times the house looks like a wreck, but I don't care. All right. So I kind of struggle in the opposite of trying to complete tasks. Very good. Maybe maybe others do. I, I I guess you know the only comment that comes to my to my mind is that all works good until um, you're gone and she's got all of her other responsibilities and she looks out there and the, and the lawn is knee knee high to a grasshopper and so now she's thinking to herself because I love my husband. Besides taking care of all these kids and everything else I do, I, I need to go out there and mow the lawn. And so maybe actually you're loving her by finding time how to be with her, but also mow the lawn. Um, or like in my case, fix the vacuum cleaner. Uh, you know, what, whatever it is. But I, I can appreciate that. I, I am in that season of life. You're going to be jealous, so many of you, but I'm in the season of life where I'm an empty nester. And so, I, you know what I love to do? I love to lay on the sofa um, with my head in her lap and read a book or sleep or watch the TV while she strokes my head. All right? And you know, you know how long I, I like that? 
Well, I mean, I'd like that for about seven solid hours. Um, uh, so I, I'm with you. I understand that. I mean, uh, you know, I, I sort of want to be like Pharaoh, you know. But, but you know, actually, maybe she would like to be on the sofa and have her head on my lap. And so, uh, you know, do I have as much desire to be affectionate and the romance and just the care um, that may lead to consummation, but that's not my motive, guys. That's not my motive. My motive is the is the care and the love and the tenderness. And that's what our wives are looking for. Someone else? Stephen? My mind goes to uh, just picking up the phone when she calls you. And um, and instead of thinking, well, I don't don't have time for this right now, I'll call her back later, and she'll just understand. But if you do that enough times, she'll start to think that you're not making her a priority. Amen. Ministry has a lot of downsides from the standpoint of the pressures on a family. Um, But my staff knows, and the men know in particular, um, you always have um, the opportunity and the green light as far as all the rest of the elders would be concerned in the middle of anything just to say, excuse me. That's from my wife. I need to take it. And, and while I won't take something from anybody else, I'll stop the world for my wife. Why? Because I want to honor her. Because she's a Stradivarius. Because she's of high value to me. Now, I understand you're not all in a working situation where you can always do that. But at every point where you can, that gives her honor. And... Um, and, and that also shows that honor to everybody else that's, that's looking on. Um, if I'm in uh, the church service, uh, I'm typically inundated with people and conversations. And I'm not blind to the fact that while I'm doing that, almost always there's somebody else here, there's somebody else here, there's somebody, there's somebody else waiting to talk to you. You can see that. You, you know that. And, and so you're trying to listen intently to Jonathan while Jonathan talks to me, but I can see Nate wants to talk to me too. And so you're balancing that, but I'm going to give Jonathan honor and listen to him with intently, even though I know Nate wants to talk to me. There's only one place where I make that an exception. You know where that is? If Jonathan's talking to me and I look over here and guess who's standing there waiting to talk to me? Judy. Then I will say to Jonathan, Jonathan, excuse me. My wife needs to see me for a minute, and I will turn from him, and I'll give my wife deference. Why? Because she's my wife. She's my wife in particular, because I want to honor her. Does that make sense? I want, I want to dwell with her according to understanding. I can't say specifically, chapter and verse, that's what you must do. I'm simply giving you a, a living example of what... Um, I think in principle would be wise for a man to uh, to do for his wife. How much of your trouble in your relationship is related not to your wife's sin, but to your unwillingness to offer yourself and you are simply reaping the consequences of it. When your wife betrays a role that God has given her, 
does your mind gravitate towards how God forgave you for failures with his command? I believe I might have mentioned this last week, but I really think on your soul you should have stamped the model prayer. And you should be able to pray it all the way through and use it exactly as that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then be able to stop there and think about the attributes of God that are altogether lovely. His holiness, his love, his majesty, all of his attributes. And just be able to praise and thank him. And you work your way down that and you, you come to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. And Paul said so that he would not be shipwrecked. Many have gone shipwrecked because they don't live with a conscience void of offense vertically between God and horizontally between man. And you should desire above all, not only to have that vertical relationship always right with God, but certainly with your wife. And, and so, how do you do that? Well, you, you do that. Is she going to sin against you? Of course. But then you just, before you ever even open your mouth to her, you, you, you sit there and you consider the mountain of your sin. And I, don't, I do know about you because it's common to all men, but my sin is greater than the height of Mount Everest. And God has forgiven me in Christ. How can I not forgive her? He's long-suffering to me. How can I not be long-suffering to her? Now listen, he addresses my sin to me. And I need to, in time, if she's sinful, address sin to her. But it's in a loving, gracious way. And um, I need to be that way towards her. So what are your questions? What are your thoughts. We have about five more minutes. Follow-ups. Words of encouragement. Things left unsaid that would be we would be good to add. Anyone at all? I think number, question number five here is really helpful. You know, I think our first instinct when we see weaknesses or sin patterns in our lives to become critical of them. And at least this question number right here just cuts me to the core when I think through how God intends to use me as a sanctified influence in my home. And then just asking the question, how much of what I'm seeing in my home is a direct reflection of my own unfaithfulness? So it's that's extremely humbling um, and, and helps me kind of stop the like looking at her specs and start looking at my log and saying like, Am I am I listening to her? Does she feel like she has an outlet if she's complaining? I mean, I remember at one point, probably in this last year, we were talking through something and and we were working through you know our heart heart issues and, and Mary said, sometimes I think I complain to get your attention and like that like killed me because she's she's like I know I get your attention when I'm when it's like level ten you know and and uh, so that was one of those examples of like, man, that's a failure on my part. Not that she's not responsible for that. She is. But that my inattentiveness led to that. Drove her to that. To get my attention. So I think that's just one little practical example 
of how we can trace back our own, our own leadership failures to love our wives in our own can lead to a lot of compounding sin in our lives because God intends to use us as husbands to, to Amen. our lives. Many of you, um, because of just the way you're wired or the way you had to become wired in the work world, have day timers or some kind of a of a planning system. I, I would dare say probably every man in here has some kind of a calendar planning system because you know at 2 o'clock you have to do this or you know at 6 o'clock you have to be at Grace of Granite or whatever. Why not figure out in your week, and better yet, in your day, when can you give your wife 30 minutes of undivided attention that's not necessarily convenient for you but that would work for her? I mean, if you're in Clay's situation, you've got two young kids, you can't come home from work and give her 30 minutes of undivided attention because even though you can give it to her, she can't give it to you because she's got two kids running around. But when? When when can she expect that 30 minutes of undivided attention when you'll listen? Every season of life is going to be different. I remember the thrill in my wife's life when we were finally able to train and feel confident that our kids could take and clear the table and put the dishes in the dishwasher and put the food away and, and, and all of that. And we went through a season of life in their late adolescent years, early teens, when, when we knew we had accomplished that from a parenting standpoint. And I often had meetings at night, being in the ministry, responsibilities in the evening, and they would usually start at 7 o'clock. And I'd try to get home, and we would, we would eat at 5, and my wife would know. As soon as dinner was through, the children would know it was their responsibility. She prepared the meal. It was their responsibility to clean up the kitchen completely afterwards. And that during that time, we were to be left alone. And we would go to a private place in our home. And she knew that she had 30 minutes at a minimum that we could just talk. Didn't have to have an agenda. She could talk about her day. We could talk about my day. We could talk about anything. She could she could vent her frustrations. But she so looked forward to that 30 minutes. Now, it worked for that season of, of life. There's something that works for your season of life. Redeem the time for the days are evil. God takes and gives you enough time to fulfill the responsibilities that he's given you here. It's up to you to figure out how to do it. But it won't happen if you don't put it in your daytimer. Or whatever your system is. If you if you don't make a commitment to yourself, it's not going to happen. She's of high value. She's of great honor. You've been commanded to love her. How can you not give her some time every day when you just listen to her? It gets tougher if you're a parent. Your kids need it too. And that's different than the time that she needs. But again, God will give you that time. And maybe it can't be every day. Maybe it needs to be three times a week. But she needs to be able to count on it. Mark? I just kind of, I think everything uh, we, we learned today has been so important because it's something we overlook as men. But in marriage counseling, I, I tend to see men typically wait till conflict happens before they deal with serious issues. So uh, they're always trying to talk about serious things when the conflict rather than being proactive about conversations that need to be talked about when it's calm, when, there, when there's time to communicate 
expectations, weaknesses, sins, planning, structure in the home, whatever you want to talk about, you can't wait for conflict to happen first before we do it. We have to be proactive Amen. in that conversation before that. Yeah. And so that's why if you have that time, then it's, then it's easy to, yeah. to get together. I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier to plan it. And so you, you've, you've prayed up and you're along with your wife and you're able to say, uh, you know, last Tuesday such and such happened and you, you really seemed um, agitated with me. Or, or you really seemed um, uh, undone with your kids. Was I reading that wrong? Um, uh, you know, think back to that day and, and, and share with me what was going on in your heart. I, I'd like to understand so I could I can pray for you, pray pray with you uh, about that. And there's no judgment in the way you said that statement. I, I'm just I'm trying to understand. I, I saw this. Did I misread it or whatever? And that's that's exactly what you're talking about. So then she begins to be able to unfold why it was that you did get that look. You know when you've gotten that look, right? And, and what Mark is saying, so don't ignore that. Maybe right at the moment, you don't, what are you looking at me that way for? That's not the time and, and the place to address it, but it, it's not to be swept under the rug. That's a, that's a, a warning, caution flight that's been given to you that you can, in wisdom, then address it for the glory of Christ. Well, it's been a good two weeks. It's been my blessing. Pastor Farrell, Lord willing, will be back with you next week. I'm jealous. I'd love to do this every day. But you know, every single one of the shepherds here would love to do this every day. We love you men and uh, grateful for this time together for your commitment. Um, Brother Mark, would you close us in a word of prayer this morning, please? Father, we are very grateful for the that uh, you provide the Holy Spirit and your grace to us in order to live a life like this. As Pastor Brody so eloquently you know, explained to me, the word revealed. And so I pray that you'll give us all the extra grace necessary to be grace and granted men. Men to go home with a transforming model of grace in our home, not just a word. And I pray that uh, this will produce much fruit knowing that our children are watching us and we're validating who God is in our home every day. And so uh, may this produce much fruit for your glory, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Amen.